Hello and welcome to FinTech Insider Insights. I'm Ross Gallagher, Director at 11FS Ventures. In today's episode, we're delving into careers in financial services. With September grad schemes in full swing, we're going to talk about what you should look for in a career in financial services, how that's changed over time, and how FinTech has changed some of the image problems around a career in banking. We'll discuss the barriers to access, the needs for a STEM qualification or not, and more in today's show. But first, a few brief messages, so please don't go anywhere. Hey folks, we have super duper exciting news. The shortlist for this year's 11FS Awards is officially live. We asked you, the incredible FinTech Insider community, to help us choose the deserving winners of the 11FS Awards, and your response was outstanding. You voted in record numbers, and it's now time to see if your favorite fintech companies made the shortlist. With a total of 10 different awards up for grabs on the big night, including categories like best experience design, fintech for good, best use of AI, and consumer game changer, there is a lot to look forward to. Don't wait. Explore that full shortlist now at 11fsawards.com. That is 11fsawards.com. And be sure to stay tuned to all of our channels to find out who will take home one of the coveted 11fs award trophies on Wednesday, 15th of November. Commercial banking is changing faster than many banks can keep pace with. The innovation that's been unleashed by digital technologies and fintechs has transformed what commercial banking looks like today. In our brand new report, in association with Infosys Finical, we explore the new generation of commercial banking, how value chains are being transformed, and what banks need to do to thrive in this new ecosystem. A must-read report for anyone in commercial banking, we combine our insights with those of 14 thought leaders from across financial services to break down the current situation, the catalysts of change, and what impact it will have on the industry. Don't miss out. Download your copy today at 11fs.com forward slash commercial banking. As always, I'm joined by some outstanding guests who can shed some light on this question and this topic. So our first guest has been featured on our Spotlight series. Uh, so do go and check that out. It's really worthwhile. Uh, but this is actually his FinTech Insider debut. So uh, Izechi Britton, welcome to the show, the CEO of the Center for Financial Innovation and Technology. So maybe you can just uh, give us a little bit of, of background on the on CFIT and, and a little bit on yourself. Hi, Ross, and hi, everyone, and thank you for having me on the show. So yeah, Izechi Britton, or Ez, as most people know me. And yeah, I am the CEO of the Center for Finance, Innovation and Technology, or CFIT, as we're more commonly known. CFIT came out of the UK's Khalifa Review, and our, our organization's mandate is ultimately to unblock the barriers to financial innovation across the UK by creating coalitions of organizations and key stakeholders, bringing them together to solve some of the biggest problems of preventing the UK financial services sector from innovating, growing and scaling fundamentally to make sure that the UK is a number one destination for fintech startups and scale-ups globally. So that, in a nutshell, is what we're here to do. So it's a real pleasure uh, to be here talking today. A little bit about my, I think it's referred to as a squiggly career, I think would be safe to say. I've kind of been all around the houses. And we can talk about that in a moment. But, you know, I've worked all over the place from banking to fintech to venture capital to social enterprise, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on. Um, so, yeah, brilliant to be here today and I uh, can't wait to get involved in the conversation. Excellent. Look, we're delighted to have you um, and sharing all of those excellent insights, both from your current role and your uh, your squiggly career as you uh as you say so as thanks a lot for jumping on and for uh yeah for sharing those and it's 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 a glorious return nadia maybe you can tell me why it's glorious i love that um to fintech insider so nadia edwards dashdy the chief customer officer at harrington star um yeah nadia likewise maybe you can just give us a little bit of background on on harrington star and just remind our listeners um, a little bit about you Yes, and thank you so much for allowing me to come back and share some opinions um, and opinions on careers, uh, the area that I am super passionate about. And um, I've got to say high five to a squiggly lined career for sure. Um, but just to anyone that doesn't know of, of me or, or Harrington Star, 
We are a recruitment business focused on helping niche and uh, technology and sales people find great new jobs within the financial services sector. Uh, we do so inclusively. Um, we champion better workplaces. And we are all about giving people best practice um, and, and workplace and workbooks on what they can do to be better and look after their people better for the long term. Um, so this topic is something that is so, so close to my heart and I'm super keen to be on this podcast today. So thank you. Love that, Nadia. We're so glad to have you. Um, I know it's a, it's a topic you're particularly interested about um, and it's one that I think is super important. So um yeah, looking forward to sort of diving in. Um, so that's that's today's panel. Um, as I say, thank you guys for joining. Um, and let's let's do just that then. Let's let's jump in. So I think um, best place to start is generally sort of setting some context, isn't it? So um, maybe Nadia, if we stick with you, I mean, um, as a recruitment company, I know you guys will have your finger very much on the pulse of the industry. What do you what are you sort of seeing in the the sort of job market as it as it stands as it stands today? Yeah, well, look, it's been a challenging year, um, but I think the challenges have been in particular reference to um, the buoyancy of last year. So, you know, it's really in comparison. I mean, we look at the past two years and and really we've seen some of the most aggressive hiring that I have seen in my 20-year recruitment career compared to um, a, a whole new way of decision-making on budgets, decision-making on growth, apprehension around that growth, apprehension around sales. And this trickles into the mindset of everybody involved in the sector, whether whether you're selling a product, whether you're deciding to hire or whether you're deciding to move job or even enter the industry, there is, um, there is quite a high level of apprehension right now. Um, the good news is... Um, uh, very, very recently, I'd say across the past sort of four weeks, there has been a steeper uptick in vacancies being released. Um, it, it doesn't take much research to see that. Go on to LinkedIn, go on to eFinancial Careers. On eFinancial Careers, 6,000 jobs have been um, put up in the last three days uh, within the financial services sector. So, so you know, it, we may have apprehension, but decisions are starting to be made because before we know it, we're going to be at 2024 and all those plans that we made for 2023 that may not have happened, they now need to start moving. So despite the difficulties of this year and the reduced level of vacancies, um, I am very positive. Amazing that um, the, the number of new job postings just in the last couple of days. Do you think that's coming off the back of it just being that that sort of uncertainty that we've seen you know, businesses just tending to hold fire, but actually now we're sort of jumping in with both feet and just uh, just really going for it. So I don't know whether we're just there on jumping with both feet um, as we were last year, but I definitely think that all the plans that were made, all those excited plans with gusto that were made sort of September, October, November 2022 off the back of such a great year, I think people have kind of got to September, back from the summer holidays, looking into how we're going to finish 2023, looking back to those plans and thinking, well, we're actually, we haven't done what we wanted to do. We haven't been able to get get the right amount of people on that project to hit whatever they wanted to hit. And I think that does start to shift decision-making. And rather than rely on confidence or apprehension of what's happening in the wider global economy, it's more about driving individual businesses further forward in terms of need. And, and, and Nadia, just, I suppose, just another thought on that. Do you think it reflects a sort of growing confidence now in the sector? Um. I believe so. Now, look, you all have heard that I didn't I didn't jump straight and say yes, 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 because it would be naive of me to say so. This year has been unprecedented. Like even if we look back to the year, the year, the first year of the pandemic and how that affected jobs within fintech and financial services, there was a steep decline. But then it started to grow quite quickly. If we go back to 2007, 2008, you know, steep decline. Um, and that growth was a bit slower in terms of the build back, but it really allowed for fintechs to become what they are today. If I look at this year, this is something I haven't seen before. I often liken it to a very slow punch. Like, do we even realize this is happening to us? Yes, it is happening to us. But now things are slowly but surely starting to improve. Yeah, that point about um, having not seen it before. I mean, we've all become very familiar with that word sort of unprecedented, haven't we, over the last the last couple of years. So I suppose it's no surprise that we're all finding our way. Um as I mean, I'm fascinated by CFIT's mission, right? I mean, um, making the UK the number one 
destination for sort of fintech startups and scale-ups globally. Like it's 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 no small sort of mission or purpose. Um, I imagine that um, talent is a big part of that, right? Absolutely, and it's it's great to hear Nadia's perspective and you know, given her her viewpoints on the market, she's she's the expert on this. So I'm I'm really pleased to hear those change in the numbers because obviously the last couple of years have been quite brutal in the tech and fintech spaces in terms of what I'd refer to as more right-sizing of these organizations. I think there was some extraordinarily aggressive hiring throughout the COVID. Post-COVID, a lot of those businesses have discovered that those models aren't necessarily going to continue growing at the rate that they thought they might have. And um, as we've seen the fallout from the changes to stock market prices, market capitalizations and the rest, organizations have had to reassess those priorities and those plans and had to um, replan their, their org structures and their resources and, and the rest of it. And we've seen organizations let go of tens of thousands of people. So it's great to hear that actually we seem to be coming out of that and moving back into an upswing, which is, which is perfect. Um, but one of the things that does continue to come through and um, was there was an entire chapter dedicated to this in the Khalifa Review um, is around skills and talent in the UK. And I think there was a quote back then, and this was in 2021, that 90% of adults will need to be retrained at some point. And that's as true for fintech as it is for every other industry out there. So there continues to be a very strong demand for the right type of talent to be brought into fintech in the UK. And one of the challenges the Khalifa Review identified was that you have fintech courses, you have computer scientists, you have data scientists, but not all of them have the appropriate experience that makes them attractive to fast-growing fintechs that need people to be able to hit the ground running in order to develop. So one of the recommendations that came out of that and part of the CFIT mission when it comes to skills and talent is developing, developing placement pipelines and schemes, connecting academia, and I use the word academia, not just universities, but academia into fintech, and to do so by working with some of the big financial services organizations to create placement opportunities so that students can get the experience that they need, get the exposure that they need, so they become more attractive and can um, hit the ground running at a much faster pace once they join these fast growth, um, high speed fintechs in the country so that we can start to develop that ecosystem um, at a rate that it needs to grow at and um, if we can start to do that at a regional level across the uk because i think something that is we talk about a lot is that cfit is really a uk-wide organization it's not just a london body and we work very closely with the various um, cluster groups trade associations regional bodies around the country particularly the north scotland northern ireland wales west the west midlands um, in order to level up those various areas and actually some of our future coalitions may well be focused on that skills and talents gender specifically so that we can start to deliver on some of those recommendations from the Khalifa review. It's such an interesting point, isn't it? Because when you think of some of the the, the fintech success stories um, that have come out of the UK, I mean, there's so many obvious ones to point to, but Monzo, Starling, Oak North. Um, and I think, you know, we have um, talent with experience in delivering those successful ventures. But this is a competitive space, as isn't it? And, you know, other markets aren't standing still. And as you say, it is that combination of sort of those those harder, more technical skills, but then also the sort of experience. And I suppose we often say at 11FS, you know, the talent that you relied on to do traditional banking isn't necessarily then the same talent that you need to build out successful fintech ventures. I agree, but also I find it tends to be quite, an enclosed ecosystem. Most fintechs recruit from the banks. That's where most of their technologists will come from. So how do we break out of that? And actually we've seen some really interesting models of say Atom Bank up in Durham, where they've practiced, they basically partnered up with the university and they're building that on-ramp from university straight into Atom Bank. And we need to start to see more of these types of programs. And actually, uh, Gemma Hallett, who's, um, who leads on this um, particular work stream for us, has been working on a pilot scheme with FinTech Wales to connect those members in the FinTech Wales group with local universities to build those pipelines and placements. And it's something we'll be looking to push out across the country. So 
it, it is fascinating exactly where that talent comes from. How do we then start to widen that pool? Because that's part of the challenge is that, to be frank, ex-banking technology talent is extraordinarily expensive. It, it really is. And that can create, and I should know, I am an ex-banking technologist. I spent 10 years as a technologist in the investment banking world, five years at Lehman Brothers, five years at Credit Suisse before launching my own fintech. Um, so I know how, how expensive it is and how hard it can be to get that talent. And that creates a real barrier for a lot of our early stage fintechs when it comes to growth, because they need to raise quite significant amounts of money to be able to build the types of teams with the level of talent that they really need. So we need to be able to go further than just trying to poach from local banks in order to do that. We need to be going back to the grassroots, building those pipelines of talent across the country. I often find it strange that we will outsource to Eastern Europe, but not to Hull. <laughs> and this is something that I think we need to address in the UK. There is talent all across the country. And I think we can start to level up across the regions if we start to do this. I think I think that's the critical point. I I have to apologize if if I'm wrong with the source of the quote, then I can only apologize. But I think it was um, Christine Lagarde um, recently who said, "If Lehman Brothers was Lehman Sisters, then it wouldn't have been quite so bad." So maybe Nadia, I mean, picking up on on Ez's point, like, how do you bring in that diverse range of perspectives, experience that you need, I suppose, to sort of challenge groupthink, challenge status quo, challenge the traditional way of doing things. And then what I guess ultimately what are what are the benefits of doing that? Mm, and this is the biggest part of my job um, that brings me the most joy, but also the most uh, pain and challenge. Um, but just a shout out on um on on what Ez was saying there about Atom Bank. So Tumelo do the same as do single track, like we're seeing more and more of this, which I think is absolutely exceptional ways to go. Um, I really agree with uh, not necessarily focusing only on universities, but calling it academia, because there's many other routes that we, we can be reaching out to. But I think that the, there's a challenge that we have that we have got in front of us when it comes to really bringing in this diversity of thought, and that is addressing um, the cultures that we have across fintech and and all of financial services. And and that is to challenge groups, think, and and nod, nodding heads to uh, the hippo in the room, the highest paid person. Um, Ritesh Jain, shout out to you there for teaching me what a hippo is. Um, you know, we've all seen it. Um, I've and, never and it's, heard that phrase before. I said I've never heard that phrase before, really the good. hippo. <laughs> I have to remember yep. that one. Hippo, the highest paid person in the room. We all turn to the hippo and go, oh, yes, we agree with you. And, and, you know, that is not true diversity of perspective, thought, proper creation, innovation. You know, it's it goes totally against that. And this this is a problem that we have. But also there's a problem with the, the recruitment um, system and the recruitment community. And that is around trust. You know, how, how, how much does a recruiter trust the company that they're working with that they are truly going to be diverse um, in their hiring practices, processes, in their and inclusive in their environments. So that trust we have to really work on. And and this is why I don't just say we are a recruitment agency. We are a recruitment agency that's focused on retention because we want to make sure that the people that we are headhunting, working with, putting in front of our customers are going to be looked after and allowed to thrive just like everybody else's, in a fair in a fair manner across that that business, and I think this this trust piece that I do talk about a lot is around how do we challenge the obsession that we have in financial financial services in in hiring someone who's done the job before, hiring someone who can do the job with their eyes closed, and not necessarily the job, the skills of right now, not the skills of tomorrow, not the potential of tomorrow, not the ability to change to tomorrow, but oh, I've done it on paper at a similar company, this obsession with hiring from your next door neighbor. And I think that there's such a power for businesses who have broken out of that obsession and they're able to partner with different universities regionally. Um, they're able to partner with different um, academic institutions to really instill um, a passion into the youth of the youth of today and the, the workforce of tomorrow around what challenges that we can overcome within this sector. But as I say, this is my biggest challenge, right? really um, testing and asking people, 
you know, how do we break out of this comfort that we find in someone having done the job before? How do we identify potential? How do we identify potential successfully? Um, and how do we truly invest in people in their growth? And really, I think the future of talent within this space will be about investing in people's growth, not just what they can do now. In fact, what they can do now really will become irrelevant. It's what they will be able to do. And, and more importantly, what the company can do for them and to build them. And it becomes a mutually exclusive thing. Yeah, Nadia, <clears throat> I think what I'm what I'm sort of hearing is fundamentally, you've got to put humans or make that hiring process much more human stop hiding behind sort of like requirements and processes and all of that sort of stuff and i think to your point and i think it's something we'll come on to in the in in, in the next part of the show hiring is really just the first step right you know you've got to foster an open and inclusive culture whereas you say people feel like they can actually progress and do well and stay there for the long term um is that as is that is that something that that sort of resonates from a a sort of talent perspective, and I suppose how we build on um, the position we have in the UK market now going forward. Absolutely. I think it's that whole piece around diversity and inclusion. You know, diversity is statistic, it's a metric, it's a number, or it's inclusion, it's how you make people feel. It's the difference between being invited to the party versus being asked to dance, right? And I think that's the piece that is really, really important. It's no good hiring all these people and then they leave. Um, I, I launched an organization called Code Untapped back in the day, um, which was very much around getting diverse technologists in front of organizations that they wouldn't necessarily get in front of because the interview process might exclude them from that, but give them an opportunity to actually showcase what they could do through a one-day hackathon, for example in front of directors and senior management in that organization. So that's what, what we did. And it, it was fascinating the difference that made in terms of people's perspectives and how they looked at the problem of recruitment. It's that whole attitude versus aptitude piece. You know, do you hire based on skills or do you hire based on capability? However, what we also have to be very aware of is that every startup, not just fintech, is alone in this. Every startup is focused on a key vertical and looks for a key set of skills. But dependent on where they are in their maturity lifecycle, they will require a very different type of person. If you're early on, if you're short of cash, every person counts and you can't really spend time learning. You have to deliver and execute. As you grow and as you build out that team, that's the point where you can start to bring in some more experimental people who can actually learn on the job, can develop quickly and help bring that level of, level of innovation to the organization and help you develop. So I think we have to be careful about pigeonholing every startup in that same space. Their maturity life cycle is, is different and depending on where they are on that journey will really dramatically impact the type of people that they can bring on. But I absolutely agree that it's important that we go outside of the box of our thinking. As I've hired for, for CFIT, for example, we have an extraordinarily diverse team. Uh, you know, we're still small, we're only about nine people. We will never be more than, say, 15 for the next couple of years anyway. But that, that team is from, okay, it covers genders, it covers race, it covers geographic area. You know, we've got people in Scotland, Wales, London. We've got all sorts in the organization. And that's predominantly because we focus heavily on what can you do? Can you deliver? Can you do the job? I can tell you now, there's not a single CV, not a single role that I've filled where I've actually looked at their university um, qualifications, or even if they went to university. Unless that is a requirement for the job, it's a you know an accreditation that I require. I have I don't, I couldn't tell you which university, if at all, any of my staff went to. Couldn't tell you, no idea, because it's not a priority for me. My priority is can you do the job. And the way I understand that is I speak to you, I work with you, I learn from you, I ask you key questions that are relevant to what I actually need to do going forwards, not what I think the job spec should be, which I've copied and pasted from Google, right? And I think that's a key part of fulfilling this, this challenge, right? Is training or developing your hiring managers so that they can go beyond just copy and paste and then going, okay, well, here's a test to make sure that you can fulfill the requirements, blah, 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 blah. 
and then complaining we haven't got diversity of thought and no one's innovative and no one can actually do what I need them to do. Well, guess what? That's what you actually hired for. So it's it's a challenge. It is a challenge. And I think it's important that we start to develop people throughout the organization in that way as we grow. Yeah, it's a challenge. I mean, it's it's not an exact science. Um, Nadia, one thing that um, has sort of sparked for me um, when he was talking about, you know, the maturity cycle and all that sort of stuff, I suppose when we're talking about this as well, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that banking and financial services is a heavily regulated industry, right? So as much as Monzo and Starling and others brought sort of very unique approaches to solving customer problems and, and delivering services, I suppose even they needed people that could engage with the regulator, speak the regulator's language, all of that sort of stuff. So are there also roles within those businesses that actually you really do need to rely on people who have that banking experience, that have that regulation and compliant experience, whatever that might be? Yes, and I think that's that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but a lot of my comments still stand because, you know, they just because an individual has been in, in banking, let's say, for 10 years, they've, you know, worked with regulators, they have a particular skill set. The the thought of what they're going to do tomorrow, how they're going to grow, that is something that I encourage everyone to be considering. Um, and that whole that entire interview process shouldn't only be you know, prove to me what you can do. It should be focused on, okay, now let's tell you what you could be doing tomorrow with that. How do we grow you? How do we nurture you? And unfortunately, we still have this culture of interviewing for for what you have done rather than what you could do. And I think that it's really important that we hammer home this point that it's not just about entry level or or transfer careers. I think it's a it's about sen- senior and experienced and people from within the industry and and all those times that they come from a competitor fintech. What can we do for you to ensure that we are we're helping you grow and thrive in a way that you want to? And you know, a lot of a lot of what I hear when I'm talking to hiring managers about this or CEOs is, oh well, you know, like that that onboarding and that growth that costs a lot of money. I don't know whether you know we can we can invest in this. I always say the same thing. You're spending money on this already, or rather you're losing money on this already because the short tenure that we have that's getting shorter and shorter and shorter, the higher the churn rates that we are seeing across fintech and financial services, that's where the real money is being lost. Um, And, you know, you you can 10x that, you could 100x that, um, depending on the size of your organization. But you know, um, we recently published a load of data that that we had identified across the industry, um, and the the average tenure for a technologist in financial services thirteen months, which is just madness. Which you know, you if you think that um, to pay a recruitment fee of twenty thousand pounds for a hundred k earner, let's say that person is only going to be with you for thirteen months. Like we're, we've we've all done something wrong here. Let alone what that does to that individual. A technologist working on something for thirteen months. Imagine how much farther they could go if they're working on something um, and they were taking it through to sixteen month cycle, eighteen month cycle, twenty five month cycle. And um, then there's the other side of it. You know why why aren't we looking at all these skills and and working even harder to offer other opportunities within organisations? Imagine if that one person joins you this year and next year they're in a different part of your organization but culturally they fit um motivations they fit aspirations they want to stay with you and and you know take on your mission values purpose even further that's the stuff that i get really excited about when i think about people in their careers because it's that versus someone who's been with you nine months they're already on the job board they're already talking to recruiters and why because they don't know what they need to do to progress um, and, and that is unfortunately a huge proportion of our industry. We surveyed 8,000 people um, at the beginning of the year and only 18% of them were totally clear on what they needed to do to progress within their business right now. It's a huge failing from all of us. Those genuinely are like startling figures. Did I just touch on that? Because it really um, resonates. It's funny, when I was at Credit Suisse, and I feel comfortable t- saying the story now that Credit Suisse is unfortunately part of UBS. Um, but um, when I was at Credit Suisse, I was a software developer, I was a contractor working in Switzerland. And contractors aren't typically given much uh, management responsibility. Uh, you know, they're seen as a necessary evil to get the job done, fundamentally. Yeah. 
And I remember being quite senior in the team, doing the work. And at the same time, I started to build the concept for the startup, the fintech that I would then go on to launch. Um, and as I was developing that fintech, I was writing all the code myself. Uh, we were planning the strategy behind it. We were pitching. I was reaching out to, uh, well, I, I had an offshore team in India supporting that development and an offshore team in Ukraine supporting that development, doing all of that myself and my two co-founders. Uh, and what an, an odd thing happened. I started to find I've been given more and more responsibility at Credit Suisse. All of a sudden, I was helping support the global rollout of the strategic platform that we were doing. I was traveling between London and Switzerland, which coincided with my travel back to help develop the startup that I was building. And what I realized was actually happening was I was leveling myself up by building the startup outside of the organization. And the organization was responding to that increase in skill set and capability by giving me more responsibility. But it wasn't the organization that was developing me. It was me outside of the organization. And here was the best. But, but they, were, they were benefiting from it. But they were benefiting from it. When I then left to actually launch my startup, I was then invited back to attend a Credit Suisse-sponsored fintech entrepreneurs event which I thought was hilarious because there is absolutely no way I would have got that invite if I hadn't left the company to launch my company. So it's this interesting thing where if you want to get the best out of people, give them the opportunity to be entrepreneurial and creative and to reward them for that within your organization so you don't then lose them to other companies or to going off and setting up their own businesses. Now, to be fair, I was probably that type of person who was always going to leave anyway. But, you know, it's what it is. However, I do think there's a big piece there around helping, enabling people's growth because you ultimately benefit or lose. Yeah, it's such a, it's such a helpful, I suppose, story to sort of illustrate um, some of those gaps and, and frustrations that we've sort of uh, that we've talked about. And I think, Nadia, you, you summed up really well in your last point. I also think it's a really neat segue into our next section, which is talking about how do we start to plug some of those gaps you know, unblock um, some of those blockers and, and, and really look to move forward. So we'll just take a quick pause here and then we'll be back with you very shortly. Hello, it's Benjamin here, Director of Research and Strategy at 11FS. Earlier this year, we published Building the Future of Home Buying, a report that calls out financial services for making the biggest, most significant purchase of most people's lives way more difficult than it needs to be. Well, fast forward to today and things haven't changed. Mortgage offerings are more important now than they have ever been, with sky-high interest rates in many countries forcing home buyers to shop around. We've got clients asking us how to move quickly to fix the problem and get a game-changing product to market. Want to know the secret? Step one, download the report at 11fs.com slash homebuying. Step two, get in touch at 11fs.com slash ventures. Speak soon. Okay, welcome back to the show. Um, in this part, we're going to look a little bit deeper at how grad schemes can break down barriers to entry and support an inclusive and diverse workforce. So, um, I mean, Nadia, it seems, seems natural to come to you um, first on this one as well. I guess, how are you seeing businesses um, working? What are the efforts that they're, they're putting in place to sort of ensure that recruitment actually is fair and inclusive? Um, there's... There's quite a range, quite a range of differences. Now, some businesses um, are doing exceptionally well. Like they are, they are the ones that are being really, really proactive. So um, you will you will know who they are straight away because you will have seen them with the way that they're advertising themselves. They're on LinkedIn talking about their environments, how they're probably promoting somebody um, uh, very vocally on social media about how they've progressed within the business. They are trying to walk the talk of this is how we include people from all all forms of society and all walks of life and and everybody is fairly invested in. They're also being quite, uh, these, these are the good ones, they're also being uh, proactive with who they interact with and how they interact with them to attract that talent. So working with an organisation like us, who are, who are we ourselves do a lot around promoting what is good within this industry and, and best practice. But on top of that, going out to different organisations, so shout out to Code First Girls, for example, um, many businesses are now working with them to ensure that um, boot camp um, and short courses are 
are then converted into placements, internships, graduate schemes, uh, whatever it may be. These are the good, the good things, the good steps that are happening. You then have um, a number of people who perhaps are, are winning an award, but unable to actually follow that up with any real concrete action. Herein lies the issue. We find that there's lots of businesses who are able to have uh, a great gender balance within a grad scheme, but a not so great gender balance in their retention of their of their staff and who actually completes that graduate scheme, that internship, that apprenticeship. Um, and, and this is something I talk a lot about. It's great to have these policies in place. It's great to have these systems, but they have to be done authentically. And we've got to always be thinking about what happens afterwards? What happens tomorrow? Back to Ez's point, diversity is one thing, but the inclusion of that diversity is actually what we are talking about here. Um, and it's super important that it's it's those barriers that we are starting to break down. Um, I think that there has been a, a step back this year, unfortunately, in the conversations around diversity, equity and inclusion, um, because a lot of people have said, Nadia, right now, I just can't, I can't focus on this. We've got to make sure our business is doing well. And for me, looking after your people is allowing for your, for your business to do well. So I will keep, you know, um, banging on that drum. Um, but for me, the real winners of the space are the ones that are looking at it from every avenue. They're looking to learn, they're looking to listen, and they constantly listen to their staff and build psychological safety within their organisation to ensure that they are getting the levels of feedback that allow them to very efficiently and swiftly respond to that feedback and do something about it. Um, I could go on for hours on this, but that's just some of the high-level stuff. Well, it's it's actually such an interesting point that you make about organisations almost in in times of crisis decoupling things like DE and I from the, the the long-term success of the business. And actually, I think you're so right that that should be challenged. Um, one thing that I'm interested in, just in your experience, is there a a, a link between those businesses that are doing the things right at the hiring stage that you described and then those businesses that have those more open and inclusive and psychologically safe cultures that you mentioned um is is there anything that can be drawn there um retention um the people that are, are truly looking after the tomorrow and and actually what does this look like day in day out in the workplace these are the individuals that um that end up being in a company longer because do you know what um you know, right now people are people are getting more clued up about this. We're talking about it a lot more. The raising of awareness has happened. There's a lot of confidence in um, a lot, not a lot of confidence, a lot more confidence than there ever was in I am being discriminated against. I am not being treated in the way that I should be. Hold on, who do I go and speak to? And if companies don't have a clear process internally, there's many clear processes externally. Um, and I think that, you know, what what would happen 10 years ago, unfortunately, can still happen in pockets, but we are starting to see a much swifter um, head above the parapet um, call out to um, the external external partners and saying that this isn't working for me and I've got to get out of here. So I think retention is, is the number one way of measuring this. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, really good point. Um, as I promise, I'm not coming to you with this question just because you're ex-Layman Brothers. Um, but I think I, th I think it's probably valid. There's something in it. Do you think that, I suppose, financial services banking in particular still has an image problem? Um, and, and what's the impact there in terms of maybe people who want to be a force for good, who want to have a sort of meaningful impact? Does that maybe clash with some of their values? Does it act as a disincentive to actually um, seek out a career in financial services? Yeah, I think it definitely continues to have an image problem. I think it, it's it's really interesting some of the points that were raised around DNI there, and I, I the way I phrase it is that diversity and inclusion is still seen as a risk factor, something to do when everything else is going well, and this is a way for us to just do our good, our bit for society, but isn't seen as core to the functioning business model of the organization, which I think is ridiculous because all the arguments for increased diversity and inclusion and all the things that all the organizations say when things are going well is that this actually improves our top line. So why does it suddenly become a risk factor when your top line is at risk? 
so it, it's it's an interesting interesting issue that you see there but coming back to the banks um they definitely have an uh an image problem i think even some of the fintechs do i think they're still seen as a bit of a an old boys club um old school network you know ex-bankers all doing what they can to do xyz which is fascinating because as cfit one of the key things we do is we drive our coalition selections and the themes that we tackle based off of industry research and overwhelmingly the thing that the financial services sector the over 40 companies we have in our coalition wanted to focus on was consumer financial awareness and, and improving outcomes for consumers that's what they wanted to solve for and yet the, fin the fintech industry um, financial service industry is overwhelmingly seen as being a negative in many ways and i think that's that's where it really falls apart what i often say i find fascinating is that when I was um, looking to do an internship, as a, I, so I did a computer science degree at the University of Kent. I'd failed my A-levels. Um, I'd had to resit. I had a terrible track record. And I was also a young mixed-race man from southeast London, um, Lewisham. Um, everything is against me from that perspective. And I saw that as I was ap applying for jobs. I won't name any names, but very well-known, large tech companies who ironically I now work with all turned me down for a placement scheme, every single one of them. Yet it was an investment bank, one of these evil investment banks that gave me my shots. And that was Lehman. And they brought me in for interview and they offered me the job that day. And then I was the highest paid intern from Kent Canterbury in the history of Canterbury. And then after my year at Lehman Brothers, Kent, I think they hired another seven interns from Canterbury University because of me, fundamentally. So it was the banks that gave me an opportunity. And I saw a huge level of diversity in bank, banking technology teams. Whether we see that across the rest of financial services, banking is a different matter. Um, and I would say, arguably, there is a lot of work to be done. But on the technology side, we saw a huge array of diversity. Has that now translated to fintech? That's something that needs to be addressed. And I would say largely it's because it's not the technologists who've gone on to fund or found the fintech startups, it's been largely ex-bankers, traders, quants, who've gone on to launch those organizations and then brought technology capability along with them. But that then brings some of those old relationships and challenges and structures as well. So there's still work to be done in the fintech space, but increasingly I'm seeing more diverse fintech entrepreneurs and founders, which is fantastic. Um, but I think it's fair to say there is there is still an image problem. We do need to focus on mission. We do need to focus on um, the core of what we're here to do, which is ultimately to create better outcomes for consumers and SMEs across the country. That's what all fintechs in the UK are here to do, to create a better experience for their, cons for their customers to create better products, better outcomes. That's what we're trying to achieve. So that messaging needs to come across as well. Um, and that includes the diversity of our workforces at both the ground level, but also senior leadership. Such a great um, sort of firsthand experience that maybe actually, you know, you wouldn't necessarily expect an investment bank to be one of the more open to diversity etc as you kind of said but it's it's interesting to challenge that um nadia do you think i mean are you seeing do you think we're we're making progress even slow progress around um diversity and sort of representation of more minority groups i mean look we'll naturally focus on financial services right because that's where we sort of specialize but actually i think what is is sort of maybe put put a spotlight on as well is this isn't unique to financial services right like this is this is everywhere oh yeah totally it's everywhere and yes of course we are making progress it's just really awkwardly painfully slow um and yes we're still talking about it because we're not where we need to get to at near enough the rate that we should be getting there and i always say if this was like a, a digital transformation project that we were all working on it would have been done ages ago um, you know, but but it, but it's not because you know, and I think as you mentioned it, we just don't have enough backing on it. And it, you know, especially when the 
you know, when times get a little bit tough, it's like, oh, that, that luxury item, put that to the side and let's get focused on the real business, which is, um, you know, infuriating and, and patronising to everything that, that we've been talking about. Um, I love the Lehman Brothers story. I think that's great. And I think that, um, you know, we, we still do have this uh, image problem because we, ha- we still have a problem. Um, I think one thing to say for, for the banks and the more traditional financial organisations, the larger traditional financial organisations, they've made some immense progress with apprenticeships, internships, um, the connections to universities and schools, um, social mobility schemes, um, supporting ex-armed forces. There's been some great stuff that that some of these smaller growing fintechs would never even have touched the sides on. I think that we cannot take away from the banks on that. Like there's been some brilliant, brilliant schemes that that have made some massive differences. I think a lot of what we see is sort of um, policy is good, but what's procedure? Um, and what I mean by that, and the example I always like to give is, you know, a number of um, banks and traditional financial organisations have um, implemented new policies around um, paternity leave and parental leave and um, and and care after um, a, a new a newborn entering a family. And um, the really interesting thing is the policies look great, um, and isn't and isn't that wonderful? And and you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if people actually took it up? But the culture on the ground is that of a senior leader and this being acceptable for a senior leader to say to a more junior man, let's say, are you really going to take that shared, shared leave? And, you know, what, what do you think about your career? And, you know, this is something that I talk about a lot. You know, we, we, we are making progress. We've got some of these policies in place. We've raised awareness. We're talking about it. And you would, you would think these policies mean that we're shifting that needle and we're moving things forward, but we still have a, a cultural issue on the ground. That, and that is the why, the foundation of why are we doing this? Why is it important? And why is this not a threat to the traditional demographic that used to rule the city? Um, and and this, this point of people feeling threatened via change to me, it's madness because we're, we're working in fintech and financial services and look how much we've changed over the last few years. How are we so afraid of this? And I think it's only only when we get this right that we are not taking away from people, we're not harming people. This is about us all getting better together. Then we will start to sh- see this glacial pace move a little bit faster and and I think we'll then see the benefits of it and I again I know I sound like a broken record I think we'll see the benefits in retention and I think that's really exciting because if people are staying in their organizations longer but moving within them or being put on larger more extensive projects what does that mean for careers as a whole on mass across all the all the people and then we then we put into consideration on that the unemployed right now, and we think about how we bring them into the workforce, their diversity of thought perspective, how they use these financial systems. You know, it's it's so exciting, which is not there yet. Culture is just the root of everything, ultimately, isn't it? Um, that we're we're almost at the end. I want to sort of um, put one final question to you both, and as maybe I'll I'll start with you. Um, what what sort of one piece of advice? would you give to anyone that, that's entering the job market right now? I would say be bold, be confident. I think um, FinTech is an incredible space um, where the work that we're doing has a real impact on people's lives. Um, it's one of the few sectors that touches everything. Every, No matter whether you're a social media company, whether you're a charity, um, whether you're a sports um, or focus organization, um, no matter whether you're a bank or a shop, there is some form of transaction activity that takes place. There is some form of payment activity that takes place. There is some form of accounting activity that takes place. There is some form of link to finance that takes place in your organization. FinTech touches absolutely everything and has been transformational in our movement from in-person, physical, paper-based, real, you know, um, slow, slow, snail-focused snail economy to a fast-paced, data-driven, real-time economy that is globally connected. Without fintech, none of that would be possible. Fintech is also, in the UK, 
we're the second largest destination for investment dollars globally. We're ahead of the next 14 countries in the EU combined. FinTech is one of the number one growth success stories for the UK. So if you want to be part of change, if you want to touch everyone's lives, if you want a mission that really resonates, you absolutely have to be as part of part of the fintech movement. You can't ask for a greater mission than that. So if you want to have an impact in your life, this is the space to be in. So be bold, take that step, be confident and make your own way forwards. Yeah, as <clears throat> I completely agree. I think done right, financial services and fintech is like the ultimate enabler. It can lift people up. It can empower them onto greater things. Um, so I completely agree. Um, Nadia, what about you? Yeah, I, I absolutely love everything that Ez has just said there and just makes me feel so proud to be part of this industry. And that that is definitely something that we're looking to grow um, across all parts of the industry. Um, I think my advice to people is make sure you do your research, um, know, know what you're getting into. And I think right now you can. Um, it's it's more than just um, the old school looking on Glassdoor or looking on, on a website. There are podcasts galore. There are news articles, there's video blogs, there's shorts of people talking um, at different events. Like you, you want to be doing all that research and you want to also do the research on whoever your potential boss may be because that relationship is super important when we think about learning and building skill sets and being able to grow within an organisation. Do your research on the people already in that organisation. You know, what, what does their career trajectory, what, what has that looked like? You know, what, at what level did they join the organisation? How long have they been there? Have they been promoted? All of this information you can find um, online and it's definitely worth looking into. Um, so research, 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 and yeah, make sure that you feel really aligned to the mission. Really great advice, Nadia, and super practical. Um, all right, well, look, that wraps up today's discussion. Um, thank you guys so much for joining me. Um, let's go around and, and, and if you could just tell us maybe where people can find out a little bit more about uh, you and also your company. So Nadia, why don't we start with you? Um, yes, please uh, Google Harrington Star uh, at harringtonstar.com, double R on the Harrington and the Star. Um, find me on LinkedIn. Um, I post every single day. So the minute that you connect with me, you'll be able to see all the sorts of companies that I'm celebrating within our great industry. Yeah, great asset. Great. All right. And how about you, Ez? So we're very easy to find, cfit.org.uk. We're also on LinkedIn. Um, and myself, you can reach out to me. Um, <laughs> very easy to find on Google, very easy to find on LinkedIn, and it would be great to hear from you. Amazing. Um, and as ever, you can find me at Ross Gallagher 7 and you can find out more about 11FS at 11FS.com. Um, and thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please do follow our podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review. It really does help make it better, and it helps others to find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider or email podcasts at 11FS.com. Thanks very much and goodbye.